0: Welcome to Speaking in First Draft, a Girls Right Now bi-weekly interview podcast series featuring the current and next generation of storytellers. In this podcast, our community members share a draft of one of their works in progress or completed pieces and discuss both the writing process and what creative expression looks like to them. Speaking in First Draft is hosted by me, Catherine Destin, the editor-in-residence and Menti alumnae of Girls Right Now. Girls Right Now is a New York City based nonprofit with over 25 years of history breaking down the barriers of gender, race, age, and poverty to mentor and train the next generation of writers and leaders for life. Sometimes, mere existence is resistance, especially when you're a woman in the midst of a war the entire world is watching. In episode 9, our senior community system coordinator here at Girls Right Now, Lisbeth Rodriguez, interviews Ukrainian-American poet and Girls Right Now mentor Vera Sirota about her two poems, Despite All the Odds and Eve's Eyebrows, part of her new chapbook, We Bow to No One. Vera and Lisbeth dive into Ukrainian identity, powerful woman, and overcoming difficult circumstances. They also conceptualize resistance as fluid and as something that can be embodied by simply remaining alive when all the odds are stacked against you. For life.
1: Hello, welcome viewers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Speaking in First Draft, a podcast where we interview girls right now, community members, about their works in progress and their hot takes on their writing process. I'm Lisbeth Rodriguez. I'm a senior community coordinator. No, senior community. Hold on. I forgot my own title because it changed recently. Uh, I'm Lisbeth Rodriguez, a senior community systems coordinator here at Girls Right Now, um, where I've worked for the last four years. And I'm joined by the incredible Vera Sirota, who is a Girls Right Now mentor and a poet. So I will hand it off to you to introduce yourself.
2: Oh thank you so much. Well, first of all, huge thank you to girls right now. Lisbeth, you have a special place in my heart. You're the one to email me that I became a mentor. This is my, my second honor. year. Yeah, (laughs) it's my second year being a mentor. So just thank you to the Girls Right Now community for this awesome opportunity. And to my mentee, Liliana, Lily, (laughs) she's the best. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Vera Sirota. Uh, I'm a poet, a proud mentor, a proud mom of two girls. And uh, I grew up uh, in a Ukrainian-American home. My grandparents immigrated from Ukraine after World War II. And my my uh, paternal grandmother was a pianist, and my maternal grandmother was a poet. And so, like, music and poetry was a really big part of our family, and it's also just a big part of our culture. Um, for Ukrainians, it's really therapeutic. Um <laughs> And and so I'm just very grateful to be here. And so the project that I've been working on over the last year is a poetry chapbook, and it's called We Bow to No One. And in it, like what has really taken shape for me are are poems that are like tributes to my favorite rebels. Um, Like women, identified creatives, poets, uh, Ukrainians, especially dealing with like war and colonization. These are all themes that kind of have come forth for me over the last year and kind of poured out out of of my soul onto the written page. And so I'm so grateful to be able to share it with everyone.
1: Yeah, I'm so grateful that you are sharing it with us. (laughs) (laughs) So would you like to read the poems that you are sharing for this episode of Speaking in First Draft?
2: Absolutely, that would be great. Um, I feel inspired to read too. You let me know if that feels feels okay. We'll feel kind good. of feel <laughs> out that energy. Okay, good. Um, so the first poem that I feel moved to share with everyone is called Despite All Odds. Um, and so last spring uh, Ukraine got invaded by Russia, and I was feeling super helpless uh reading the news and actually I'm very grateful girls right now had an incredible workshop called writing through war. Um, and that was very, very supportive and therapeutic to have that outlet, um, to try to channel some creativity, uh, and, and process some of those feelings of being far away and not being able to do much. Um, but there was one story in particular that, uh, stood out for me and it was, a, of a Ukrainian grandmother or babcha, um, she was living in her home and uh, her village was under attack um, and it was being bombed. And she was quoted as saying, she's like, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm laughing, but that kind of fierce determination and independence, uh, it really reminded me of like women in my family and kind of the way we grew up. And I just felt like she was, like the embodiment of the Ukrainian resistance. Uh, You know, it's like, she's like, I've seen everything. I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. You're not getting rid of me. And so this is a really a tribute to her uh, and and just to that, um, in a sense of invincibility uh, that she, that she embodies. So this is called despite all odds. When the air raid siren blares, I remain Defiant, in my bed, on the top floor of my home. I dare a Moscow missile to find me. I am 99 years old. I survived the Nazi invasion. I survived Stalin's terror. I survived Soviet oppressors. I will survive Putin's pillagers. Hope animates my heart because this is a national trait, a pride that propels us, a song that sustains us. We bow to no one and never will. So that's for the wonderful Bapcha who stood up for herself. <laughs> yes, and it's such a
1: beautiful tribute to this Bapcha. Thank you, thank you.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm very lucky. You know that poem found a home in in a wonderful anthology called Ukrainian American Poets Respond. Um, and it was just such an honor to be included in it. And so the thank you to the editors, Elena Jennings and Vyjana Tskach for including me. So thank you for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think this poem is such like a beautiful representation of wh- what you said before is like the Ukrainian, like the embodiment of that resistance of saying like, even if you are invading my home, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right where I am. And especially goes into... Like, you know, this history of conflict that Ukraine has had, unfortunately. So I think it's. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think, like, no matter what, like, <clears throat> people are always thirsty for freedom. And yeah. um, that is an innate thing. And I think, especially, you know, the Ukrainian culture, like, no one wants to be a colony. No one wants to have to, uh, you know, swallow their self-determination. And that and that I think is is actually a universal, universal thing. You know, we see that across the world, you know, with with other countries and other, you know, other people who are dealing with the same thing. They just want to determine their own fate and have democracy. Yeah. So thanks for letting me (laughs) read that to you. (laughs) Of course. So the other poem, and I think I'll end there, um, it's called Eve's Eyebrows. Um, And this one is more of a personal poem related to my life. It's actually dedicated to my Baba, my Baba Daria, the one who was a poet. Um, And this is related to a memory I had of her. She would ask me to pluck her eyebrows. And, you know, she was a single mom. She raised three kids, including my mom. And she was like a woman creative, very avant-garde. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of women, other women, especially raised their eyebrows at her. She grew up in a more conservative time, um, but she kept at it. Um, but in this poem, I kind of document, sometimes people are forced to assimilate. Sometimes they kind of have to hide their nature to, when navigating tricky spaces. And I think, especially for, you know, women identified creatives, they're not always allowed to, or given the space to kind of fully express themselves. And so this poem, I think kind of hints at that tension that she had to navigate and, and that I, I think I inherit too from her. <laughs> um also it's called Eve's eyebrows dedicated to my baba dadia. Wicked shrubbery sprouts above our eyes, coiled and wild. The lush supercilium shields our sockets, protects our calliope vision. Yet you ask me to inspect, trim, cultivate the hairs. We know we cannot spend all of our days in the garden. I raise the tweezers. My young hands tidy Baba's eyebrows into obedient rows. We must hide our she-wolf selves to survive and that's the end so thank you <laughs>
1: yeah no both of those poems are so beautiful and i think for eve's eyebrows you really can see that tension of assimilation when you at the top mention this like wicked shrubbery and then at the bottom you call them obedient rose so it's very telling this like transformation that is happening just with like the trimming of the eyebrows that I think was really amazing to write.
2: Yeah, it was like a ritual, you know. And I think of I think of one of my favorite uh, creatives is Frida Kahlo, you know, and how mm. she embraced a very natural look, you know. And I think that for you know a lot of women creatives or anybody kind of on the margin who's trying to find their voice, that's what we aspire to, right? That mm. that complete sense of freedom <laughs> and emancipation um, and and owning that moment, but yet we're sometimes forced in certain moments to kind of you know uh, to hide it. Um so yeah, so and I was really lucky that poem found a home too in the poetry distillery. So that was very I was very happy Yay! for that. So thank you to <laughs> Lisa Kiernan, yeah, for that outlet and, and for the opportunity to share that really personal poem about my about my, my Baba. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So you had mentioned before that, you know, the poems that you shared these two as well as two others are going to be part of, like, a chapter book um, about Mm -hmm. uh, defiant women or women who really Mm -hmm. embodied resistance. Um, So I think in that sense, there's also a poem Mm -hmm. about these Mesopotamian, like, clay tablets, as well (laughs) as one about, um, like, a mother sending her child Mm -hmm. away um, to escape the war while she stays behind and sort of like saying goodbye. Um, so of these four poems, I kind of saw survival almost as like a unifying factor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess I was wondering like if you if that was intentional, if you felt the same way um, or if there was something else that really compelled you Uh, to have these four in the order that they are.
2: That's, I mean, that's an incredible compliment. Thank (laughs) you for saying that. I really appreciate that. No, that's a very moving, moving, like, and an insightful thing to say. So thank you. I think that's what I'm going for. Yeah, I think, you know, for all of the poems that I shared with you and then in the manuscript that I've been working on for the last year, it's really about, I mostly women but, but just narrators who are trying to find their voice. Uh yeah, and trying to find assert their independence and even in difficult circumstances. And I think like a huge thing or a huge outlet is creativity. To have a creative outlet is to assert your autonomy, um, you know, to find your voice. And, you know, that's why the work of Girls Right Now is so personally meaningful to me. You know, we are, as a community uplift one another. We're all about providing opportunities, you know, where we unfortunately haven't been historically as many, you know, for for young women and, and trans youth. And so, that's really what I'm going for is that, you know, everybody deserves the opportunity for expression. Uh, and, and, and that is part of the survival process. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you claim your space, claim your space. I think that's really, really, really important. Um, like therapeutically and, and, and artistically
1: oh, yeah. claim your space and also claim your thoughts also. Cause if, you know, you suppress mm-hmm. that part of yourself, that also keeps, you know, I guess is an obstacle to resistance if you won't express your thoughts freely or can't express your thoughts freely.
2: I think that's very well said. Absolutely. I think and especially now I feel like in a lot of social justice movements there's a greater realization of just how crucial self-care is. Um you know, we have to take care of ourselves, you know, in order to uh continue to be engaged in the greater movements, you know, that we believe in. And uh and and not to sacrifice yourself, you know, so that you have to be able to um that I th- I think Audrey Lord talked about you know that self care is you know it's really it's so important to do and it's in its own act of resistance <laughs> you know when so many people are are rooting against you uh, and, and hoping that you are hoping that you are silent yeah. yeah people are counting on people are counting on that you know
1: so as a as a writer as someone who is also being creative and also compiling or writing about these women who had very difficult histories, histories of violence and threat. Um, How are you practicing self-care while collecting and writing about these women?
2: Oh, that's such a beautiful Mm -hmm. question. Um, Definitely the process of writing is very cathartic. Um, Having that as an outlet, it's an act of empowerment you know, to put it, to put words to the page, you know, and I think that's definitely uh, so important to me. Um, I have a chanting practice, and that really, really helps me, um, you know, meditation and chanting, and I feel like that is so important for trying to, you know, calm my nervous system, um, to be present, um and to uh just navigate life you know i feel like the last few years have been so uncertain and full of uh, so much turmoil um you know i think that that has really helped me you know uh maintain my spiritual practice uh as an artist and as a person it's been really crucial
1: yeah that's beautiful i'm glad that you have these like outlets that are working for you and i imagine also even if it's hard, like it's also fulfilling to write about these women who other people may not have heard about before.
2: Absolutely. I think that's a huge privilege. That's a huge privilege. And to be able to find an audience for that is is just a huge honor. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Very exciting. <laughs> um, so okay. going back to those first two poems. So Despite All Odds, and the other one is The Dream Passes by the Window, perhaps. Is that the title? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. So the dream passes by the window. So you mentioned you grew up in a Ukrainian-American household. The war in Ukraine is a lot closer to you in that sense. So what made you Mm -hmm. decide to write these two very different images of war? One where it's like very boldly resisting by staying... Where mm-hmm. you are staying potentially in dangerous path under threat of violence, and one where, as I said, a mother is sending her child away to safety. so while she mm-hmm. stays behind. So, yeah, I guess could you talk a little bit about sort of the differences and maybe the the similarities of, of those two scenes that you're sure. creating?
2: You are an amazing <laughs> interviewer. This is a great question. So thought-provoking. No, I really appreciate it. So the poem that you're you're referencing um, that I included in, in my chat book is The Dream Passes by the Window. And, and The Dream Passes by the Window is actually a Ukrainian traditional lullaby. And um, I was thinking about that song because, uh, like I mentioned, you know, I was reading so many articles and continued to you know stay on top of the news. But there was a, a case of a family, uh, it was a single mom, uh, and she, you know felt forced to send her 11-year-old son on a train by himself to Slovakia. Um, They live in a particular area where there's a nuclear reactor. And she knew the Russian army was advancing. And she's the primary caretaker for her own mother, so the child's grandmother. She had this, you know, agonizing choice to make. uh, And so this is the best choice that she could Uh, determined for herself under the circumstances, tragic circumstances, was to stay behind with her mother in the area with the potential threat of, um, you know, invasion and possible nuclear calamity and, uh, you know, sending her son on his own uh, on a train. And I just, you know, the trauma of that uh, decision, it really just struck me, you know, um, I have an 11 year old daughter and I can't imagine having to have that conversation. And so what I was thinking about, and I think I alluded to it earlier is that like music is very therapeutic, uh, for many people and very culturally. So for, for Ukrainians. So I was imagining, well, could she sing this to her son, uh, can she relay this message as a lullaby to try to dampen some, you know, the harshness of the situation, you know, and, you know, you take this on as a mother, you try to shield your children and try to protect them in the best way possible. And I was thinking about how she had to do that. And that's just what came to me as this traditional lullaby is that, you know, we don't know where we're going to sleep and this, you know, the, and and this, you know, you'll have a dream, they'll come to your window. You know, these are all references to the lullaby. Um, and that's what I kind of reimagined uh, in the conversation. And so even though it's, I would say it's a different tone than, uh, the other poem against all odds, despite all odds, but there's the strength that she has to muster to, to relay this message to her son. Um, that I think is equally powerful and equally strong. And I wanted to honor this mom and this child, you know, who who, thankfully he did make it to safety um, and it, you know, made a big deal in the news. Um, But I think just what people are forced to do under very tragic circumstances. And I just wanted to honor that tenacity that she as a mom really exhibited in that in that moment and the tenacity and courage of that little boy you know he had in the story they talked about he had a phone number written on his hand and he came with like one one little bag and his passport and that was it and that was it and he was running away you know to safety and so um yeah so this was really trying to honor them and and process that um, journey as, as, a, as a mother, from mother to mother, I really just, my heart broke for her. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, and I think these are really, like, it really highlights the different ways that resistance can look. I think typically we do imagine it as sort of the Bhatta in Despite All Odds, yes. like, I'm not leaving, yeah. but sometimes leaving right. or sending your loved ones away is also, like, an act of resistance, and it's also an act of love, even if, like you said, it is, like, a very tragic and traumatic choice to make.
2: Wow. Yes, I I think that's right. I think that's right. That's really where the space I was coming from, yeah, that there's different ways to express independence and different ways to express resistance, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So what was your, what is your writing process for these pieces? Are they different from the rest of the chapbook that you're writing? And what does your research process look like also?
2: Great question. Um, so I would say for me, <clears throat> there are a few things that really helped me to get into a writerly space. A strong cup of coffee. <laughs> I still write like old school style with a notebook and a pencil. Um, it's easiest when I have some time to myself, and I'm more of a, um, a morning person now because of I have two daughters, yeah. <laughs> and so I come. My my brain is the freshest <laughs> in the morning, um, and so I will get inspired by things that I read. You know, like they just will stay with me. Um, like those those two poems that I shared, you know, they were related to um, news stories, you know, that I, that I read. And and it just felt like a way to show solidarity um, with, you know, with the Ukrainian people. Um, other poems, you know, you're digging through memories, like the one that I shared about my grandmother, about Eve's eyebrows, mm-hmm. you know, that's excavating your, your history <laughs> and thinking about the greater symbolism of like certain memories and, you know, what it spurred you to, to think, um, and uh, and the, the art, you know, reading different poems, you know, I- immersing myself in other art forms. Um, you mentioned a poem that I wrote about Anhejuana. Um There's a great exhibit right now at the Morgan Library, and it's about the f- world's first known poet she was a woman. And so it's like from ancient Mesopotamia, uh, so like present day Iraq. And that was just an unbelievable exhibit, unbelievable exhibit. Um, And I think like what stands out about that particular uh, poet, she put so much of her personality into her poems. She was a priestess and she was appointed by her father uh, to write hymns for uh, a nation state that he was trying to build. And there were disparate parts of the kingdom. And so she's really, uh, her poems all exalt this one female goddess in the North. She was known as Ishtar in the South as Inanna and she, the way she describes this goddess and and writing about her, she just exhibits so much strength and determination. And the poem in particular that I write about her, she experiences a moment of exile because she's actually thrown out of uh, the temple, and she's uh, on her own, uh, and and no one is left to protect her. And she kind of turns to this goddess for help, and she's eventually restored. There's a happy ending <laughs> at the end. Her nephew comes and helps her. Um but I think this like idea of like in times of trouble we turn to the moon, we turn to this divine feminine. Um, for, for consultation and for determination to kind of muster the strength that we need to, to, to keep going. And I just thought that that was, you know, it's specific to her and to her history, but there's something that we can glean from it, you know, in moments of trouble that it could be your own prayer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you worship the moon and the Inanna, the goddess Inanna, you know, to come help you in your time of need. And, you know, when you're in dire straits, so yeah, so that that was a fantastic exhibit and I really recommend it. I think it's uh, at the Morgan Library for a few more weeks, but it just blew me away. I just like I need to write my own <laughs> poem after <laughs> seeing after seeing this exhibit about the world's first poet. Yeah, yeah so just just uh being inspired by other artists, you know, in all art forms is there's so much, you know, we live in an area, you know, I live in Hoboken proximity, New York is, you know, is, is amazing. You know, that we're surrounded by so many great artists and cultural traditions.
1: Yeah. Oh, you inspired me. I want to go check out this exhibit <laughs> now. And I think you brought up a really, yeah, I, recommend <laughs> it. I think you brought up a really good point about like turning to the divine feminine, you know, in times of trouble mm-hmm. And the fact that it it's such a long-standing tradition that it goes even all the way back to Mesopotamia where, you know, we worship celestial bodies, that one of them being the moon, which has this, like, fun little symbolism that stays till now that even when it's dark, you have the moon to guide you and you have the moon to, like, show you the way. Um, so, yeah, I think that's also like a really interesting thing to explore in your poetry as well so you have all these different facets of like what it means to be a woman resisting and what it means to be a woman who is you know struggling and what what do they do in those situations
2: Right. What really struck me is that, like, this is part of our lineage. You know, she is like our Eve, you know, like for anyone who identifies as like a creative writer or, you know, musician or anyone who is like finding their voice, you know, to learn about this one particular poet, Henjuana. And like that she documented, you know, this for us, you know, and let, it's part of our part of our heritage. And I just thought that was, you know, there aren't enough uh, books written about her, you know, and I'm glad that the Morgan Library is like spotlighting her, you know, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm 42, (laughs) you know, I just learned about her, (laughs) you know, how many other lost women there are, you know, I know there's a famous quote, anonymous was a woman. Uh, um, And I just think that that really makes a very um, just pertinent point you know, about who gets, who gets uh, published, who gets, uh, who gets attention and, you know, kind of uh, our jobs and trying to excavate and find all these great artists, you know, who are kind of hidden.
1: Yeah.
2: It didn't have the same opportunities. And I feel like that's really the mission of girls right now coming back to that, you know, and is making sure that we uh, lift, uh, lift young women up, lift trans youth up so they they don't have those same struggles. Yeah,
1: for sure. And that is a fantastic segue to my next question, which is (laughs) as a mentor of two years, what does it mean to Mm -hmm. create in a community like girls right now?
2: I mean, it's everything. It's such a foundation for me. Uh, Girls right Now is like a literary family for me. Uh, The time with Liliana has been so amazing. Like she, every day her voice gets stronger, you know, and I'm just so privileged to be on this, like, very like parallel journey of self-exploration. You know, she's finding herself, I'm finding myself and that we're surrounded by people who I always feel this faith from the girls right now community, and encouragement and that everyone is there just to lift one another up. And I think like if you're in a creative field You know, you deal with a lot of rejection (laughs) and doubt, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think about how, you know, having that as a base is so crucial Um, just to keep your spirits high, you know, to celebrate your successes and to, you know, kind of comfort one another when things don't quite go your way. You know, I think that's the artist's way. You know, we deal with the highs and the lows. And so to be surrounded by such talented but caring, empathetic people is is just truly such a privilege it's my favorite organization yeah. <laughs> girls are knows everything to me and you have <laughs> such a
1: special place in our hearts as well we all adore oh, having you. you so we're so glad thank that you. we could also interview you for speaking in first draft again it's such an all, honor it's all my honor <laughs> <laughs> So I think for my next question, you mentioned also that you have been published in Ukrainian Mm -hmm. poets, uh, Ukrainian American poets respond as well as Mm -hmm. um, the, the distillery that you had mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. So what usually what's your editing process like before you submit your works and what does your submission process look like? Like what's your next step once you edit a piece?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm really lucky. I have a second uh, literary family in the Poetry Barn, um, which is based out of the Catskills. They do like poetry readings. They have a book uh, store and they provide online classes. And I really found my my like peers there, and in particular, um, a teaching artist named uh, Kim Noriega. She's a poet herself and just phenomenal teaching artist. And I've taken six classes <laughs> with her over the last year. And she just has this amazing um, way of really validating your process, um, celebrating your work, but also in the most kind and generous way, give you concrete suggestions for strengthening each piece. And so I Having a second reader or a group of trusted readers that you have a relationship with who understand your aesthetic and your kind of greater, I would say, like ethos, she really understands, you know, my point of view as an artist and as a writer. And so I'm lucky that I stumbled upon her, you know, and then I consider her a mentor. And so I was really lucky. I, I actually got uh, – I was a finalist for an award that honors poet mothers, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, called the Martha Award. And so as part of that, uh, I get to continue my professional development with her. I got to take a class with her, um, which was great. And so specifically, the class that I took um, on manuscript development was really, really helpful. And And I would say – What it taught me was to look at poetry collections in a macro level and to really see a narrative arc and kind of what are some of the messages and symbols that the poet incorporates. And so looking more closely um, at different collections in that with that lens was really helpful. And so we looked at quilting by Lucille Clifton and Lucille Clifton is my favorite poet of all time she's just such an inspiration she had six kids she would write at the kitchen table on with her typewriter and her family was just so supportive and her her daughters carry on her her legacy they maintain the clifton house um which is a great um like residency space for poets and, and and artists um but i yeah i think about her and uh so I think really having the opportunity to have some trusted readers is, is very important. I think taking time away from reading the pieces is important and um, to read with fresh eyes. And then not, I, I think sometimes I find myself getting impatient. I'm like, I just want to get to like a concrete goal. But part of the process is letting each poem breathe. Like some poems arrive to me fully formed and that's so exciting, <laughs> you know. Like I can make like a few edits, but they feel they feel cooked, you know. They feel like they're ready. And then other poems, you know, I agonize over them. Like they're it's a struggle. Like I I write, I rewrite, and it just doesn't sound right. I think like a big strategy for me is reading a poem out loud, you know. For fl- it helps with flow, especially, but. If you stumble on it and it doesn't quite sound right, you know that you kind of have some work to do. Um, and I would say, for in that instance, an editing strategy for me actually is to go take a break and read other poems that I really admire. Um, I actually did that about the poem about Hedjuana. I was like, let me take a break. This is so difficult, <laughs> <laughs> difficult labor. Um, and that actually really helped, you know? And then when you actually bring it to fruition, it's very satisfying, you know, it's a more arduous labor, but, you know, you wrestled with it and, and, and you really put in your all. Um, So yeah, combination of space, you know, taking time away from it, reading other poetry, you know, as like finding a mentor text, and then just having some readers who, you know, are looking out for your interests and who really can see like the pearl in, in some, some, you know, And some seed ideas, they can, they can really help you guide towards that. So I feel like those three things have really helped me. And then in terms of just looking for places to publish, you know, as a, as a new writer, as an emerging writer, um, there are some resources out there that, you know, if people are interested in pub- in publishing poetry, what you can do. A really great one is called Poets and Writers. It's a magazine, and they always list kind of submission um, opportunities. Um, and that's a great resource. You can subscribe to them. And then one I think especially that's good for um, – like newer poets is called new pages and they kind of compile, you can follow them on Instagram. Um, and they compile different submissions, um, you know, and especially I think like small independent presses are a lot more prevalent mm-hmm. now, which is great. Um, so you don't have to be like an Oprah author, you know, Oprah authors are amazing, you know, that they made it to that huge platform, you know, but that there are other, other outlets that you can try to connect with. Um, and, and those are, are are just as powerful. And so, yeah, so that's really, those are the two resources that I use. And so I've had six poems um, published or one that's about to be published. So, six total. Yeah, thank class. you. Thank you. And so now, what I thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a slog, you know, but you have to keep going. And so, now, really, where I'm at in the process is, you know, trying to find the right independent press, you know, to publish the whole collection. A chapbook is between 16 and 25 poems and I have 16 poems and I feel like I have said everything I wanted to say with this particular theme and with this vision and with these um, you know, children of my poems <laughs> that, that I've kind of given birth to and so now that's the task is, you know, who who's the right fit, you know, where where can it find a home, you know, to to take on and you know be distributed to other people yeah but that's kind of what's worked for me that's
1: amazing yeah and thank you so much for also sharing those resources that's great and i'm sure that our re- our listeners not our readers um will definitely <laughs> check those out and take advantage because they sound really helpful Alrighty, righty i think that was all for me but is there anything else that you would like to say or add
2: I'm just incredibly thankful um, to you, uh, to Catherine, Vahni, Jesse, you know everyone at Girls right now for this opportunity, Liliana. Um, you know that we're all lifting each other up. We're all trying to find our voices, and and then having your support means everything to me. Uh, so just a huge thank you for this for this great. Great opportunity yeah
1: of course and having you in our program is always just such a pleasure and such an honor so thank you also for just like all of your beautiful writing your kind spirit always um you're just an incredible author person um and we are all very happy to know you <laughs>
2: i appreciate that so much thank you for the work that you all do of
1: course thank you just For all of the support you give to girls right now, you give to Liliana as well. Um, And we're so happy that we could interview you. So... Thank I you really, so much. Really
2: appreciate yeah, it. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for your
2: great questions. Thank you. <laughs> it's my first
1: time interviewing someone, so I'm glad I could. You did great. <laughs> thank you. You did great. Yay. Thank you so much for all of your time. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. As Vera mentioned, she was recently published in a poetry collection titled Ukrainian American Poets Respond, published by Elena Jennings. And we highly encourage you to check it out. And we hope you will tune in for the next episode.
2: Can't wait.
0: Thank you to Vera and Lisbeth for sharing their work, their thoughts, and their conversation with us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us in this episode of Speaking in First Draft. Check back biweekly weekly on Wednesdays for a new episode, and make sure you subscribe to Speaking in First Draft wherever you get your podcasts. Much like the drafts in these episodes, we're just starting out, and we'd greatly appreciate any feedback you have. Leave us a review wherever you listen to this episode and tell your friends. This episode is a production of Girls Right Now. It was edited by Sally Familia, produced by Vani Curra, hosted by me, Catherine Destin, and was recorded by Lisbeth Rodriguez. See you next time, and happy writing.